Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today is a very special episode. This one has been in the works for quite some time, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Our guest today is Neil Francis. He's a Chicago cat, and I love his music. I have his album Changes on vinyl, and so when people come over to my apartment, I'll play it for them and be like, this is what my Chicago experience sounds like. It has this boogie-woogie vintage vibe. It's so uplifting and fun, and I've seen him perform a, a couple of different times, and it's a blast to see him play live. We'd recorded at Neil's Place, which is on the west side of the city, and it's part of a church. The whole vibe of his spot is amazing. It's, it's how I imagine my dream house would be, just like surrounded by books and old stuff. I just, I loved it so much. During our conversation, we talk about Chicago, his music and inspiration, performing and touring. We even touch a little bit on architecture, reading, and meditation. This is going to be great. You can listen to Neil's music on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you can listen to music. Sounds awesome on vinyl, too. You can follow him on Instagram at Neil Francis Music. Let's begin. Welcome to Rich Conversations. This is a very special episode because we have Neil Francis here with us. And the backstory with Neil, um, I'm friends with a few people that, that have played with Neil. And at the bar, I work at Lincoln Station. Every time I come on shift, 6 p.m., I just play his album Changes all the way through. And it's kind of like my uh, walk-up song. So everybody knows when when the song This Time comes on, Neil Neil's album just plays all the way through. So it gets everybody in the vibe. And to me, it feels like Chicago. And it's just like super groovy, great vibes, and it's a great way to start off the night. And so now I have Neil here with me. How long have you lived in Chicago? Uh I've been here since I was one. One? Yeah. Where'd you, what neighborhood did you grow up in? Oak Park. Oak Park. Okay. So what, what's it been like in the music scene here in the city? I'd say, uh, there's, there's many different scenes. Um, I started out actually, you know, playing in bands in high school and that was its okay. own ecosystem in Oak Park. There were lots of bands at Oak Park River Forest High School. And uh, then when I got to be 18, I started playing in blues clubs with uh, various artists around town. How old do you have to be to like play in a in a club or something? Is uh, there an age limit? Yeah, you know, I I was in I I was playing at Kingston Mines from probably 18 and it depended on the club, I guess. Okay. But most of them are family-owned. And so as long as you're not uh, drinking or anything... Then it's all good. Yeah. Or they don't know you're drinking. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. So you've been touring since you were like a teenager, though, right? Uh, yeah. I had some experience uh, when I was... Yeah, my, my freshman year of college. Yeah. So... Wow. So what are the people like when you're when you're when you're out gigging in the city? Um, from my understanding, is a lot of Chicago musicians 
they just play all the time and that's how they get good sure what kind of people are you like interacting with in the scene mainly other musicians um when i was playing in the blue scene and uh then i guess you would call it the jam scene okay uh through college and then after college most of the groups i was playing with would play at bars you know and uh attendance was variable so if so a lot of times there's not a lot of a lot of people there yeah like you said right uh yeah i mean depend it, again it depends on the situation actually yeah. you know the the most successful shows we did it with those bands back in the day were like diy house shows oh, okay because then there was sort of this expectation that everybody could party the way they wanted to and and just play the way they wanted to yeah well you know alex obviously has got yeah. that figured out so yeah alex wasili yeah. is a mutual friend of ours sure yeah yeah he he's kind of uh refine that concept yeah into into uh our adulthood yeah yeah you've played at funk party right yeah that was actually my first show uh with the neil francis project okay so tell listeners how so you're you're out on your own now and you were with the herd before Mm -hmm. right how long were you playing with the herd I was in the herd for probably three years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe 2012 to 2015. Okay. And then there were a few, uh, there were a few gigs after that here and there, but it, it was mainly those three years. Okay. Um, you mentioned that there are like a couple of different scenes in Chicago, the music yeah. scene. What can you describe them? Like what are, what are kind of the types? I mean, the ones that I really know, I, I don't know, like scene is also just a... A weird term. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But like there's, you know, there were bands that knew each other and played shows with each other. And there was the whole... A live one was definitely a scene. Um, that's the bar on Halstead uh, near Diversity. Um, that was like, that was actually a scene because, you know... You had Tuesday nights was like $2 drafts, and yeah. so everybody would hang out there on Tuesday. And then Wednesday was usually like the uh, the new band on the block. And then Thursday was like the elder statesman. Yeah. So like while we were playing like one Wednesday a month, spare parts, this um, like wicked... Uh, jazz trio was playing on Thursdays okay and so like the the weekly Thursday spot was where we wanted to be but you have to sort of like play the Wednesday spot for a while okay and have like nobody at your shows and then once the herd started playing on Thursdays eventually that's sort of when that band took off because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Galactic it's a it's a band from New Orleans. No, I don't there think was, so. There was there was a uh, lead singer for that band called the House Man. That was okay. like his stage name. Um, Thero Cluet, I think is his. I'm mispronouncing it, but that's his real name. He's a old New Orleans soul singer who is 
singing lead for Galactic for a while. So like he was a known entity on the jam, like the larger national jam scene, jam okay. scene, um, jam funk scene. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, that show attracted the guy who would end up being our manager. Okay. And it like morphed into something more than we had like anticipated where we were able to get an agent and go on tours. And the herd was like the first taste any of us had of like the music industry outside of Chicago, you know, really not playing weddings or something like that. So what was the first time? So you were on tour with the herd. What was it like going on tour for the first time in your life? I mean, it was a mess (laughs) for me. And I, I'm, I'm sure the other guys too. It was like probably, you know, I was, I was still drinking quite heavily and I was just like, not really looking at what I was doing as any type Mm. of job. Okay. And uh, it was a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. but it was also just like, you know, um, a study in how to get on people's nerves. Really? Yeah. Uh, I I think everything's smooth out now with yeah. the guys like uh, the bass player is still in my band okay. um and uh the guitarist taras Horowski is actually coming over tomorrow to jam but um you know we're all on good terms and everything but it was just like none of us knew what the hell we were doing <laughs> yeah and it was so uh and my my like extracurricular activities in particular just made it difficult for me to execute what you're trying to do and what you're there for yeah it was like that whole period of my life was sort of like the music my like music career was sort of a sidecar to to something your extracurriculars were like the focus in your life and yeah. the music was secondary in yeah. a way yeah even though you were using music to kind of fulfill the, they fed each other yeah and indefinitely interesting yeah. So how did you, so Neil's music is, has this like boogie woogie vibe. Uh, he plays organ and something I love about listening to old music, like the doors or so, just the organ. I just love the organ. And how did you, like, at what age did you discover that sound and how, is there like a story of how you discovered it? Um, I've, I've always loved the instrument. Uh, I played pipe organ in church when I was growing up and I probably started messing around with that when I was like eight, but it's a very different instrument than the Hammond organ, which is what I would play with the herd and with my band. Um, So where I'm looking, I'm looking around right now. We have what we have a, what is this right here? So this is a Roland Juno six synthesizer. Okay. And then I've got a Korg Prologue synthesizer. Uh, and then over here was a harpsichord. Harpsichord. I'm sure you probably have like a few other things over there. uh, An acoustic piano. That's actually the one I learned how to play on. Oh, wow. Over there. Yeah. So, yeah. How did you get into that? The organ specifically, uh, I mean, it was just, like I said, I was playing in church and there's a specific technique that 
will carry from the pipe organ to the Hammond organ, which is what you hear on popular music. You mentioned okay. the doors. That's yeah. actually on, he was using what's called a, uh, a, uh, combo organ. Okay. Uh, specifically the Vox Continental. So like that was like a cheaper, more portable version of the Hammond okay. electric organ, which is like, if you think of like gospel music mm-hmm. from the fifties to the present, that's sort of like the sound you would be hearing or, you know, any rock or funk recordings. Yeah. Um, it weighs like 400 pounds and then the amp probably weighs another 125 or 150 pounds. And so, and you know, it's really, uh, there's a whole technique and approach to it. That's different from, um, piano or electric piano so to play organ really requires just i i I was attracted to it because all my favorite recordings had it you know pink floyd and um Mm. you know the stuff i was getting into in in junior high and in high school and when i started getting into funk i realized that was the sound of those recordings you know okay billy preston and sly stone oh yeah you know like that was it's such a uh, such a powerful instrument, and it's also like uh, versatile, and it can it can fill many roles within like a sonic profile, you know. Really, what is what is the you, when you've played live? I've seen you play at Shuba's, and there's like this this bar that you're always using. Oh, okay. What is that? Yeah, that's the clavinet, and that's on top of I I have it set up on top of the organ but that's a stringed instrument that's separate from the organ so you're playing like a couple different things yeah at once typically i mean like the the way i choose to do it which is not the most easy way but like i have a separate sort of uh the old school way i guess you would say is just mm-hmm. to have there's all these keyboard instruments that make sort of different timbres Okay. You don't have everything built into one box with like digital samples. Um, and so, you know, there's a piano, there's an organ, there's a clavinet, and there might be a, a, an electric piano. And then, of course, with the new record, uh, I'm going to have to add several synthesizers to the rig. So, wow. you know, you're talking five or six keyboards now. <laughs> yeah. Holy Probably going to have to add somebody to play all that shit. But Wow. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, uh, it's actually like, in addition to having people who can play, you gotta have people who are down to like help you move that stuff around. Cause it's like, yeah, that's some serious weight, a literal ton of yeah. gear. <laughs> wow. Um, so the, the lyrics on the album changes, I'm most familiar with, with changes your work on there. Um, the lyrics how much of it is based on personal experience and like how much of it is, is personal experience versus like an abstract concept? Mm. I think I wrote it sort of autobiographical and, uh, what I've sort of learned about songwriting is that it can morph in terms of its meaning as you, age and acquire more experience because it's just excuse me 
Topo Chico, Topo Chico <laughs> bubbles. Topo Chico bubbles. Getting to me. Uh, finest bubbles in the biz. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, I'd say like the meaning of those lyrics uh, has changed for me, even since I've written them, you know, two or three years ago. That Do you go back and listen to your, your work or no? Uh, well, I mean, when I first got the mixes, you know, before we ever released the album i couldn't stop listening to it because i was just so happy with how it came together but yeah. then there's a certain point where we're playing it every night so it's the last thing i want to listen to <laughs> you know because yeah. we get we get off on playing it that's yeah that's never a question right you know but like um yeah i can't i actually had to i uh i sat through changes at christmas dinner uh, with my girlfriend okay. earlier this year, just just the song changes, and it was like ah. it was an interesting experience because I was like listening to it mm-hmm. wow. for the first time in a while, you know, I'm trying it's... to gauge reactions and whatnot. And kind of going off of that direction, when so last year you guys were scheduled to tour Europe mm-hmm. playing music mm-hmm. and talking to Colin, uh, the drummer in your band, he was so excited because he. he his dream uh, is to go play music around the world, and yeah. and COVID happened. Yeah. And how did you how did you handle that emotionally, that disappointment, and then how did you adjust creatively during that time? Well, man, uh, it's a great question. Just, we uh, all were bummed. We had like a you know sort of Cinderella year. Uh, ahead of us and um the bottom dropped out for everybody though it wasn't like our tour got canceled and everybody else got to go you know so it was like that mitigated things a little bit and then uh i went through this sort of depression when we came back that again i don't think was unique necessarily Mm -hmm because nobody knew what was going on or how long things would last yeah and uh gradually um i sort of shifted gears to recording myself which i haven't really gotten into and a lot of musicians that's the first entrance they have into music is learning how to mess around with garage band or whatever but my uh, guitar player, Kellen, left that tape machine here, the uh, Otari 8-track, and I got a mixing board to go with it, and so I just started recording demos, and that eventually became the record that we're finishing up now. So you guys are now like an album ahead. You guys are... Yeah. When does the next album come out? Uh, I, I can't really say, because I think we're trying to wait for things to be properly open before okay. we drop it yeah but yeah we've got a, uh, a new label we're working with and it's uh everybody did their best work on the project so i'm really excited and i don't think it would have come together uh the same way um so would you say there's a lot more focus yeah well i think if we were touring all this year we wouldn't have been able to write and record yeah. a record and um or not one of the same quality mm-hmm. you know and it would have been sort of the sessions would have been sort of just 
sandwiched between tours and like of course what you do have in that situation is a band that has been touring all year and that's like an incredibly well-oiled machine yeah you know but um yeah i think that overall like creatively this has been one of the most fruitful periods of my life the the pandemic at least and it is today i mean like uh both monday and tuesday this week i've been just in the studio all day it's here in my living room and you know it's it's been great i i I didn't know how to use any of this stuff before the pandemic so you taught yourself how to like use all this stuff well i i i taught myself to a limited degree but it was also learning from you know again my guitar player kellen borsma is like a a wunderkind of the guitar and the, the piano but also uh recording um he taught me like some really basic stuff and then of course my friend uh my good friend and longtime like engineer uh, companion is uh, Mike Novak, who like actually, you know, just watching him and actually watching him critically. And and then, of course, when we recorded the record, uh, our producer Sergio Rios flew out and, you know, he's been at this for you know, 20, maybe close to 30 years now. So just he's uh i'm learning all little tricks here and there it's just like learning an instrument yeah you know? i'm glad to hear all yeah. that so uh, something i want something i wanted to ask you is like when you're playing what what goes through your mind or does nothing really go through your mind is it just all just getting something out of your system and that energy like you just it just comes naturally or do you have to think about it much when you're playing or I think there was a time where I used to play like that, but now I'm, I like to be more prepared and sort of, uh, really hammer out a framework of how I'm going to play things and rehearse that as much as I possibly can. And then there is room for those sort of inspirations, you know, in the live performance or in a solo. Yeah. But what I'm doing, like singing and playing multiple keyboards is like, too complex for me to just sort of go out there and wing it oh <laughs> well, yeah 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 like well because i mean when i just play keyboards in bands that would be like way easier to do okay and that's really fun too mm. it's just sort of i guess yeah what you're saying like intuition just using stuff i've heard and played over the years just comes out yeah, yeah. so it's a lot of reps yeah practice. yeah yeah, I'd a lot say of practice. So. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe not even practice. Lately, I mean, I've been practicing a lot, um, but in the twenty-eight years leading up to this, it was more so just like playing a lot. And there's a difference for me. It's just like practice is kind of a focused, disciplined, uh you know, task and then, uh, playing is just exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, so so on, you use this promotional photo a lot of, uh, you have headphones on Mm -hmm. and when I, when I walked into your place here, I see it, it was taken right there Mm -hmm. and we have these like 1970s lamps, this whole, this whole place is like, 
the vibe I love, old stuff, mm -hmm. antiques. We've got a bunch of old books here and globes and swords. And mm -hmm. uh, we got a photo of William Tecumseh over mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And everything is all vintage. And I just love it so much. It definitely fits Neil's vibe. What I was curious about is that replica painting. You have uh, Picasso's Three Musicians. Is there any significance to that in the in the photo that you took that you used for promotions? You know what? That I saw this on the list of questions you asked, and this was like the one that I thought about the most. Is uh, which is funny. I that picture was just in our laundry room when i was growing up really for some reason so i figure it was like from my dad's apartment or something okay. i gotta ask him but like i just i like i don't even really see that it's about musicians although it clearly is but like it's just it's pleasant to look at i don't know what else to say and it's got a frame you know so it just kind of had i've like everything in this room pretty much aside from the musical equipment mm -hmm. was like, you know, shit that I got from my parents when they sold the house in Oak Park. Really? You know, okay. so that's, and, and like, I love it. And I, that's why I love old stuff like this too, you know? Uh, but it's, it's mostly just hand-me-downs from that, that house, you know? So that's where that picture came from. So the laundry room. Yeah. It was like nice. in the basement. It was so weird. Um, and it's like the centerpiece of my house now. Although yeah. I've got the Titanic. Wow. Okay. There. Yeah. We got the Titanic over there. And then my grandpa's ship on the wall. That's, that's the destroyer there. The Cass and Young. Oh, wow. So you come from like a like a shipping family or a... I, well, my grandpa was in the Navy. Okay. And he loved everything about the Navy. Okay. Uh, he was a World War II veteran. And I was fascinated by that aspect yeah. of him growing up. And uh, I've always kind of just had a fascination with uh, maritime history, I guess. <laughs> but I've, I've never really like, I went on a um, like a 10 day sailing trip when I was in the Scouts. Okay. But that was the extent of my seafaring. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. One of the things I'm most proud of to own is this replica ship that I got at an estate sale for $5. Sweet. For It's called a Fregata, not Familia. I don't know. It's like a, a Spanish ship from like 1792. And it's just like massive. It's kind of like this old one here. And it's just huge. Oh, sweet. And I'm just, that's my pride and joy. And then I, I come here and you got all this, this cool stuff. Uh, have you read a lot of these books? Or, or Yeah, I mean, again, these are like, books i've collected over the years and a lot of them came from the family home but yeah i think uh i, I know. studied architecture in college so okay those books are there and those old books are you know from my great-grandparents so wow yeah, i was trying to make out the the books you had on your bookshelf in the photo and i noticed uh there's a fahrenheit 451 yeah sure uh the one that's on there that I that wasn't in the photo is Burnham of Chicago. I read that during quarantine. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting, man. Do you, do you know much about Burnham? I made it uh, up through the World's Fair portion okay. of that book. Yeah. 
it's uh, so fascinating i know me. more than i did uh i know more now than i did before reading that yeah yeah oh yeah yeah so you if you studied architecture who are your do you have any favorite types of architecture or people yeah well uh you know frank lloyd wright uh designed like 40 buildings in oak park so yeah. i was right down the street from that growing up wow. and that really was what interested me in architecture really uh yeah okay. and so of course his connection to lewis sullivan mm-hmm. um and then you know lewis sullivan's connection to burnham through the fair and um william LeBaron jenny and just you know a lot of chicago architects yeah but uh yeah my both my grandfathers were engineers oh really that was sort of a thing too yeah yeah that's cool yeah oh man well kind of on this uh curiosity note is there something something in the world right now or in your life what's something you're curious about recently i've been um first thing that came to mind is i've been you know uh doing a meditation practice for the last uh almost two years now okay and so that's become a daily part of my routine and um you know i I, i've been reading voraciously during the pandemic and the content has varied wildly but uh I guess my main interest is just trying to get better at the recording. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Know? Yeah, I would think that's the main. How did you come across these meditations? Um, actually, my friend Bryant and uh, our mutual friend Lucas, uh, two of my best friends from Oak Park, actually, okay. um, have a daily uh, hang where they just meditate together via Zoom in the morning really yeah or how long is it for i think they they'd probably do a half hour okay um or maybe they're together for a total of a half hour and they only do 10 minutes but that just like that was a bug in my ear because i know bryant specifically is someone that i always looked up to um in terms of just like he he's got like two degrees from northwestern and okay he was always striving to go deeper and like find out more about himself. And so I, when he was talking about meditation for years, I was like, you know what? Like it's, he's already done the research for me. Like if Bryant's into this, then like, yeah, I should just get into it. So he was doing like a, uh, the Sam Harris, uh, course waking up um yeah. so i i started doing it's just an app and then you know the things he teaches you are applicable so that you don't even need an app or a phone you can just yeah do it in the line at the dmv like i did this morning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i got my uh so i'm doing like a meditation routine too for the last two years and i got it from colin oh cool. colin o'brien he like shared with me in google drive these like 50 day Sam Harris meditations. Yeah. So I just do them every morning. Yeah. It, it works. Yeah. So, uh, what books have you been reading? Uh, Very curious about that. Lately, uh, okay. So on my nightstand, 
I'm trying to get through this book about the spice trade. <laughs> and it's like uh, it's a book I borrowed. Is it from... Silk Road? No, uh, it's called The uh, Sense of Eden, and it's okay. about specifically about like the the Dutch. Um, and I'm just kind of getting to the primacy of the Dutch in the book in the uh, like Indonesian spice trade, and I. I it's really I never anticipated reading this book because I borrowed it from uh, my girlfriend's dad. Okay. Because we had a conversation about another book I read, which was about the British East India Company. Okay. Which was, um, you know, the great um, colonization of India, mm-hmm. which is extremely interesting. There was this, a book called The Anarchy, which is just riveting and terrifying just it's like imagine uh if amazon had like a standing army of two hundred fifty thousand men and like a navy yeah um and control so that was the east india company yeah the british east india company um it's it's fascinating um the the book is great william dalrymple wrote that um and I, I've, early on in the pandemic, I, I read The Plague because I had never read that. Oh, sure. Uh, was applicable to what we were doing. Um, that stands out for sure. A, a lot. Of, I've been reading a lot. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of it. Wrapping up here, what's something you're excited about over the next three years? Three years? Oh, man. I don't think that far ahead. <laughs> well, how about this? What about I was I was looking at your tour schedule and you're at Red Rocks in June. Mm-hmm. What I don't know exactly what venues you've played at before, but what would what is like a venue that you dream of? Oh, playing Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall in New York. Yeah. Uh, just because I've been hearing about it my whole life from my dad you know as really? as mainly as a joke but just it's also just a beautiful space um and in terms of that i mean the auditorium theater in chicago is one of the most beautiful you know interior spaces i've ever yeah. been in so i'd love to play there too oh it's a lot like um you mentioned like louis sullivan louis sullivan he designed that yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah. exactly what makes a, a to you what makes a great venue a great venue as a as a concert goer um is acoustics first and foremost what about um, playing though um what do you kind of look for or like hope probably to... honestly it's probably the uh the staff really you know um and you know if it's if for me you know having an easy load in uh and then people in the audience is probably actually the most important but (laughs) you know uh honestly like i've played some real shitholes and i've had a great time yeah you know and i've played at big theaters and had a not good time Mm. so it's like Everything comes together. Like, honestly, when I look back on it, the greatest shows are the ones where there's a lot of people having a good time, Yeah, you know? And uh, sometimes, and even that, I can eat my own words because it's like, I've had a great time with 10 people in the audience. 
Yeah. And we try and treat every show like we're playing for 10,000 people. Yeah. So then we have fun, you know, like not give a shit, just play our asses off. And then, um, but when you're hauling all those keyboards, uh, yeah. and you have to go up like a janky, like back stairwell or something mm-hmm. that sucks. It's not fun. No matter, <laughs> no matter how good the show ends up being. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's definitely some hilariously like shitty venues we've played, but um those were fun nights too you know yeah well kind of on that note i have here this is uh neil's record changes on vinyl and this is one i have a, a vinyl collection and when guests come over i always play this because i feel like it's kind of a uh for me like a symbol of chicago in a way and the people i talk to and affiliate with and i'm hoping you could sign it yeah of course yeah so we have it right Thanks, here man. thank you for buying this record we got a pen oh it's open already hopefully it works i just bought it today oh yeah man what's the nice smoothest pens the smoothest (laughs) smoothest pens all right so here it is neil francis vinyl signed changes he has some new music coming out and you can follow him on spotify listen to his music it's awesome thanks for coming on i appreciate yeah, it and having me in your space oh yeah of course anytime thanks man yeah thanks for listening to rich conversations thanks to our guest neil francis again you can listen to him on spotify and apple follow him on instagram at neil francis music fill the rest of your day with some great vibes